In today's episode, we open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, which is the very end of Paul's first letter to Pastor Timothy. In this passage, Paul writes the famous saying, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What is in focus, however, is not some intrinsic wickedness of money, but the need for all believers to find their contentment and self-worth in the things of God, such as sound doctrine, righteousness, and love. Good morning and blessed Epiphany Tide. Today is Friday, February 17th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning, we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church of Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can find out more about them at lhfmissions.org. They help congregations and missionaries spread the gospel with foreign language resources rooted in the Lutheran tradition. Again, learn more at lhfmissions.org. And joining me for our conversation on the very last chapter of First Timothy is my guest, the Reverend George Murdaugh, Pastor Emeritus. Good morning, Pastor Murdaugh, and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Last time you were on, I think we were in 1 Corinthians, but I'm happy to have you today. It's another one of Paul's letters. A lot different this time. 1 Corinthians was just to a congregation. This one is a little bit more personal to Timothy, the young pastor, but at the same time, there's plenty for all Christians to learn from it. Uh, before we dive in, uh, any, any, anything going on in your neck of the woods that you want to share with the folks at home? Uh, how's, how's God mm. treating you this winter? Well, it's fantastic. It's been good. No, it's been very good. Uh, we had a new grandbaby in our family this year, so that's that's always a blessing. Oh, and yes. uh, yeah, ministries continue, and uh, you know the Lord continues to bless. So we're just grateful. Absolutely. Well, would you mind leading us in a prayer before we dig into the text? Sure. Thank you. I will. Gracious our Heavenly Father. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, you promised the Holy Spirit to your disciples and apostles that it would be poured out upon them in Acts 1. And then in Acts 2, you demonstrated that uh, by the Pentecost event. Uh, you fulfilled all that you had promised through your Son. And uh, now you have uh, raised up such a one as uh, Paul, the apostle, uh, to encourage the young uh, Pastor Timothy and his community, his his community that lives in a in a society and actually a, a part of the world that is not that much dissimilar from what Christians today live in, and you encourage him to be faithful in all things and to be willing to give his confession and his testimony uh, to Christ. It is a call for us, Lord, to be prepared and to be equipped by that same Spirit to do the same, so that we might be uh, shown to be your disciples, and that we might be marked by the hallmark of agape love for others. Continue to bless and encourage that as we're in this word this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Well, our text today actually does not begin at the very top of chapter 6. We included that yesterday because, well, just thematically, it fit better. So today we're actually going to start with the second half of verse 2 in chapter 6, which begins with teach and urge these things. Uh, so for those, those at home getting ready to uh, hear us read, that's where you'll want to start. Uh, but before we read, uh, do you want to catch the folks up at home on where we've come so far in the letter, maybe give them a little bit of background in case they've missed a couple episodes. 
Well, uh, yeah, Timothy, uh, of course, in, in uh, I mean, Paul, in his letter to Timothy here, uh, is, is really writing a letter to a, a beloved disciple, and really he mentored uh, Timothy in the faith, uh, brought him into the community of faith, and uh, has seen him as a spiritual brother, a spiritual child, actually. And, and so he has uh, now uh, given him the task of being the, the leader of a church, which is not an easy church to lead uh, in Ephesus because of the pagan situation it's in. And so he has to encourage him. He encourages him uh, in this letter to be true to the gospel. He encourages him to uh, make sure that he is uh, going to, even though he has to face some uh, um, if you will, false teachers, uh, some people that insist upon the Mosaic law rather than the grace of Christ. Um, he, he wants to make sure that he's well grounded in this idea that we're saved by grace. Uh, he uh, talks about with these people uh, how they are to conduct themselves in the faith community, how he is to be a leader and an example in that. Uh, he, he's supposed to raise up these leaders, these uh, deacons and and uh, elders and whatnot uh, to take care of the community and, and how he is to be an example to them in every way that he does that. He's supposed to uh, instruct them uh, in how they are to live, who is to be uh, uh, appointed for those kinds of situations uh, in the community so that they are true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They, have, they, are, they are well uh, versed and, and well capable of, of presenting the gospel uh, and then just uh, that he should be encouraged, despite the fact that there are going to be difficulties, going to be people who are going to resist his ministry. He must continue to try to be uh, um, in a loving way and in an evangelical way, continue to minister to them in, in the name of Christ. Uh, he advises the widows, the elders, the slaves, and all to live their lives uh, as believers, uh, even in, even to the point where the Christian slave serves the Christian master uh, as a brother, uh, and and vice versa. The, the the Christian master should treat the the slave then as a member of his Christian household, and that kind of thing. So that's kind of where we're at at this point. Now he's going to close, and really, uh, he closes here uh, with kind of a reprise of some of the things he said, um, but really trying to emphasize the uh, godly lifestyle and the uh, faith and all that that Timothy is to, um, if you will, demonstrate before not only just his congregation, but also that, that community of Ephesus. And as you said in your prayer, you know, the world we live in today is either, as I think, regressing back to a time before, you know, they're rejecting the things that Christianity brought into the world, so we're really regressing mm-hmm. back, or at the very least, things haven't changed so much, depending on how you look at it doesn't matter. This is so uh, pertinent to the experiences uh-huh. that we have today. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's very astute. I'm going to read just verses uh, 2b all the way through 10. So that's like the first half of our section for today. And then we'll, mm-hmm. we'll go verse by verse. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness— He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, and slander, and evil suspicions, 
and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. All right, brother, you know, he's urging at the top of the section, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and doesn't agree with the sound words, et cetera, et cetera, what kinds of different doctrines were being taught? Well, this kind of refers back to uh, chapter one in a sense where he identifies there um, these false teachers that were in there. That's why I say this is kind of a, in this conclusion here in, in chapter six, he's kind of um, reminding Timothy of the things that he had, had said earlier in the letter also, because this letter would also uh, be something that Timothy would have shared with the congregation or shared with, with his elders. So um, he wants them to know that uh, what's behind the heart of these people that are, are uh, in this congregation that are still maintaining uh, these false uh, positions, okay? He says, if anyone teaches false doctrine. So he's going to start with that, uh, which was his first exhortation in chapter, in chapter um, 1, uh, 1 through, I mean, 3 through 11. But there he talks about, he talks about the, these false teachers um, who uh, were teaching false doctrines. Now, we understand doctrine to be what he says here is the sure instruction of Christ, the sound, uh, if you will, doctrines of our Lord Jesus Christ, or the sound teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the word for sound there means healthy in, in, in Greek. I mean, these are, these are things that will keep you healthy, which, helps, which really makes us uh, – Paul is using – of course, Paul is a great writer – uh, and, and speaker, and so he he uses the word healthy here, and then at the end of it, he says you're going to be pierced with a lot of griefs. Uh, so if you stay in these doctrines of the Lord, you're going to be that. So these teachers were teaching that, and they were also um, uh, uh, teaching these uh, myths, Jewish myths. There was a lot of Jewish kind of mysticism that was invading the Christian faith at that time, uh, because it was a pretty strong current within Judaism. And uh, he said, you know, we need to avoid those myths. You need to avoid uh, these these uh, teachers that are you know, locked in, in the old law and, and um, all these endless controversies. They love arguing uh, about that sort of thing. And he says, don't get tied up in that because they're conceited because of their knowledge. Uh, they think that this knowledge is superior. Uh, it may be that, and, and this was true, that Jewish uh, mysticism at the time was um, being um, adulterated by also uh, Middle Eastern mysticism and Greek uh, mythology and that sort of thing into a kind of Gnosticism, this kind of, you know, secret uh, knowledge of, of things hidden and that sort of business. And he says, this is all, all you know, needs to be done away with. You've you got to set that aside. Uh, don't don't get into controversies with people over these. Preach Christ. Just keep it on what we, what you know and have been taught about Jesus Christ and salvation. 
the truth and be rooted in that and, 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 and help people be rooted in that instead of these things that might give them some financial gain, which was very important in Ephesus at the time. Yeah. So and he said godliness and that, and that word godliness, which Paul uses most in First Timothy, is a uh, godliness or being godly. Um, but specifically that term godliness, he associates, in other words, with the sure understanding of Jesus Christ, the incarnate word, with this understanding of when we're in that way, we are godly. That is, we are following the will of God. So the will of God is not based in the law. The will of God is not based in our works. The will of God is based in the following of Jesus Christ in that way, and that is the path of godliness. And this is what he wants to emphasize with him other than all of these other things. And then he finishes with the contentment thing. He says, you don't need to worry about, Timmy. Just don't worry about, you know, if you're going to be successful. Don't worry about if you're going to, you know, have enough or not have enough or whatever. Be content because you're on God's mission, and he will provide you <clears throat> with the things that you need. And those of us who have been in the ministry long enough um, – or anyone who has committed their life to Christ knows that there's ups and downs, but some way you're always, we've always been provided for. And the Lord, because we're on that mission for him and we live for him, uh, he does provide just as he, as he uh, always has and will. I want to talk a little bit about uh, in verse four, because when we think about today, now you've done an excellent job of talking about the context of the time, and it's so important to remember, you know, what was going on. But when we think about today, really, the second half of verse four just stood out to me, or actually, I should say the middle, where he writes, he has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words, which produce envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions and constant friction among people. And I think mm-hmm. about that. I think about the world in which we live today where – especially the words controversy and quarrels about words. You know, Words, of mm-hmm. course, uh, are important. The words we use communicate things. But we live in a culture that wants to either redefine or take words and be offended at them or to take words mm-hmm. and uh, um, obscure them. And, and we also have within even our own ranks where now words become laden with – meanings that maybe aren't stated but yet they bring to our mind kind of like uh, singing a singing a, a hymn that has great lyrics but the music is to a to a very recognizable rock song you kind of think okay right. i can't really think anything other than the than the rock song well the that same thing you know so yeah. yeah we even had a you know a recent little mini controversy within our own ranks about words that were loaded with other values and i don't want to get into that specifically of course i guess i'm just saying you know you you talked about keeping the focus on Christ, which is so important. Um, I think both within and outside the church, we could certainly learn a lot about that today. Yeah, I do. Uh, what what he's doing here, I think, is is good um, is is good information and good teaching. And uh, what I think is a good idea that that Christians who are out there engaging in with the world, uh, they still have to carry the, um, if you will, the, the, the odor of Christ. <laughs> Paul talks about the odor of Christ, and, uh, you know, he's a, he's a uh, pleasant odor. And uh, 
which I think was an interesting way of speaking about, you know, presenting Christ. But he says, we have to keep the order of Christ in our world. And he says, one of the things that has to be avoided, and, and a lot of Christians, you know, either silenced uh, by the aggressive, um, if you will, quarrels or controversies or debates of other people about their faith uh, or about the faith that we do have, and you know, uh, or that we constantly have to be apologetic uh, and that sort of thing. And they become somewhat uh, overwhelmed by that. And what I would, I've always tried to tell people is just keep the conversation and keep the focus on Jesus. Uh, in, in a sense, by doing that, by, by simply you know, showing who you are by what you say and the words we use, um, what we do by that is we cause the other person to have to address that instead of, of grabbing the agenda by insisting on their words and their controversies and their way of thinking and their way of, of presenting the, the case. Uh, as Paul, Jesus said, don't worry about in that day when you're, when you're hauled before people, governors and kings. The Spirit will give you what to say in that time. And I encourage people, just, you know, it, while these people are uh, uh, ragging on about this or that, whatever the thing might be, or, or you know, whether it be good or evil, uh, just be praying in the Spirit while they're doing that so that you can just present Christ and keep the focus on Jesus. Because... We don't save anybody, really. I mean, it's the Spirit uh, through the work of Christ that saves people. So, And we don't even have to change minds in that sense if we continue to, if you will, flood the airwaves of our speech uh, with the goodness uh, of God and the uh, um, righteousness of Christ. And and so that's that's I think what he's saying because this other stuff doesn't lead to anything but quarreling. It doesn't lead to anything but uh, the uh, ab- abrogation of the truth, um, and and it can spoil godliness and all kinds of stuff. Just don't go for it. Just keep it on Jesus. <laughs> Very good advice. For those at home wondering what our guest is talking about with the aroma of Christ, um, I looked it up, 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16. I believe that's what you're referencing here, brother. And he writes, For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. So I, I, I just love that you brought that up, and I had to get the source mm-hmm. of it because I didn't recall that mm-hmm. off the top of my head. And mm-hmm. what, a, what, what an interesting way for Paul to talk about this. Now, of course, we're thinking of proper, good, right, and salutary sacrifices mm-hmm. and those aromas being mm-hmm. pleasing to God. But when we talk about Christ, when we point to him as you're instructing us to do, as Paul, of course, is instructing us to do, um, to some people, that's going to be a pleasant aroma, drawing them to the mm-hmm. Lord. And to others, mm-hmm. it's going to be a foul stench that reminds them of their death. And so we shouldn't be mm-hmm. surprised that even when we stick to the topic, so to speak, even when we focus mm-hmm. on Christ, there will be people mm-hmm. who will not like what we have to say. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, it, it, when Christ is presented as he is presented in the Gospels, so if you simply, if you simply know your Gospels and you know how he is presented there, and uh, and that's what that's the kind of Christ that you want to show people. Um, 
then, then in fact, what we're doing, what we do at that point is we let the word do its work, the word that is flowing through us. We're just simply going to let it do its work. Um, so we don't have to get into these debates uh, about, you know, uh, uh, the, fine, the, the fine points of doctrine or something that some theological student has to really, you know, w- work on. Um, not every Christian is being, been called to be a theologian, nor are they called necessarily to have memorized, you know, every possible doctrine of Christianity or its, or its abrogations. Uh, so, what? but they do know Jesus. I mean, you can know Jesus, and you can know what he said, and you can know how he acted and, and the things he did. And, and, um, and those are the things that, uh, for which, really, the, there is no... Um, there's no basis uh, for denial because they're historic facts and they're historic writings. And so um, you're, you're really basing it on, on what Jesus himself has said and done. In the second half of this first paragraph, he, he doesn't shift topics. It's still all the same topic, but he's talking about these people who are depraved of in mind and deprived of the truth, which is a great turn of phrase. But they are imagining that godliness is a means of gain. That is, it seems like the motivation behind some of these false teachers is to enrich themselves. And in contrast, Mm -hmm. he tells us that, well, we didn't bring anything into the world. We can't take anything out. So therefore, we should just be content with what God gives us. Um, What do you think about that? And what do you think about the the love of money as the root of all kinds of evil? Certainly, you've heard that used in many ways Mm -hmm. throughout your career. Mm-hmm. I have, and uh, I've, I've witnessed it, unfortunately, in, in ministry. Uh, uh, over the years of ministry, I've, I've witnessed how people have, uh, in their headlong pursuit of success and money, have uh, ruined their families. They've, they have, um, uh, evils have resulted from, and sometimes, you know, uh, putting success and wealth and all that above uh, you know, your calling in Christ is is absolutely detrimental, and and so he's he's saying there are people who have done this, and apparently, let's say, I want to say just a little bit about something in Ephesus. If you go back to Acts 19, you get a pretty good idea of the kind of place Ephesus was. It was a free Greek city within the Roman Empire, and it had one of the major shrines in the empire was in Ephesus. It was a shrine to Artemis, uh, or the goddess Diana, and it was huge business. It was huge. It made it into a cultural center for that whole part of the world, and and so uh, wealth literally flowed into that uh, community from all over the place, and of course, Rome loved that because their taxes, you know, they got more taxes out of it. So um, this was the community in which clearly Clearly, the cultural, um, the, the cultural uh, overriding um, principle there was make a lot of money, get rich. Uh, really, that is what you need to do. And, uh, this, and, and there's no better place in Ephesus. And that is why the silversmiths went all out against Paul and his uh, believers, because they were preaching against, you know, against, against paganism, if you will. And they were losing business because they made these little icons to Diana. And so uh, there was a lot of controversy over that. And he said, a lot of people can get into that trap uh, where because society is moving that way and to fit in and to, to be a part of that is really where happiness is. That's really where 
where ambition ought to, ought to drive us. And, and, they, and, and the more you're driven by ambition, whatever it is, whether you be a preacher, whether you, you're, you're deciding you're going to be a preacher of prosperity or whatever it might be, the more you're driven by those ambitions, the more evil you fall into. And we've seen it happen. I mean, brother, you and I both know it's happened over and over and over again in the Christian community, uh, in this country, and, and in other places. So um, it's good advice to be content uh, and, and, and to be stewards of your wealth, whatever that might be, in such which he kind of ends, the, he actually ends this chapter with that, uh, be stewards of your wealth in such a way as the Gospels promote it. So I think it's important that we, you know, observe that. Of course, he's not saying that the financial instruments are somehow evil, like you know, the the money mm-hmm. itself, or even or even mm-hmm. really no. being wealthy doesn't, you know, condemn you to hell. But no. there is this contentment. Uh, even Jesus, of course, speaks about it elsewhere. He says in Matthew six twenty four, um, "No one can serve two masters." Right? You will either hate mm-hmm. the one or love the other. You'll be devoted to one mm-hmm. and despise the other. You cannot serve mm-hmm. both God and money. But mm-hmm. what you brought up was really important. The Romans at the time, they loved the fact that people were pursuing wealth and weren't content with what they had, and therefore they got a lot of extra revenue from it. And I can't sure. help mm-hmm. but be reminded. Um, many years ago, um, I believe it was uh, during uh, President George W. Bush's um, – when he was in office, we had the the stimulus checks, and everything was being pushed toward – well, to help the economy, everybody needs to go out and spend, 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 and don't save this. Don't save the money. We're trying to, you know, no. revitalize the economy. Um, no. And you know, I'm going to leave whether that's useful to the economic people out there in the audience. But I will say it kind of made me think and contemplate on just how the health of our economy is not based on being content, but rather really drives on people being discontent and always seeking for something better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's exactly right, and 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 it's it's preyed upon constantly. Uh, we're preyed upon in that in that sense. The 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 general, the general secular society is, uh, and it is. It's true. Uh, capitalism is a consumer-driven economy. It's it, that's simply the case. I mean, that's what it is. And uh, but that does not mean, by the way, and I I think I need to say this to be fair, uh, the United States of America is still one of the most benevolent. Uh, countries, uh, and I, I am just going to say it. That is because of our Christian roots. Uh, it's because, although that may not be all that apparent in the world, uh, we still uh, maintain that position, if you will, of, of inc- incredible benevolence around the world. And I'm talking about really social help and like what's going on in Turkey and, and, and Syrian border today, and how we're helping there and what we're providing then there and that. Uh, you know, we always come to that, but that's from our Christian roots. That's from that's from that's from not passing the poor Samaritan on. I mean, passing the poor guy on the side of the road without helping him. Uh, that comes from our Christian roots. And and though there though, it, you know, we, we're losing a lot of that. Uh, still, I have to give some credence to the fact that we're still in that kind of attitude uh, today. I mean. When uh, they had the uh, when they had the um, tornadoes a couple of uh, couple, about a month ago here in, in uh, Alabama, um, now Selma, Alabama, where we used to have our our Concordia College there in Selma and those other areas, 
I mean, the Lutheran community and the faith community flooded that area with help. And so um, these are people who who lost everything, and yet it was the faith community really came came up, came around them. And and so this is the attitude we ought to have towards money. This is the attitude we ought to have towards the gifts that God has given us. 100% agree and something for us to think about as we head into our break. Folks, don't go anywhere. When we return, Pastor Murdoch and I will keep going on 1 Timothy chapter 6. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boom. With me today is the Reverend George Murdaugh, Pastor Emeritus, who's joining me as we discuss 1 Timothy 6. But before we get back into the text, I just want to remind you, as I always do about this time, that you have if, if you have any questions or comments about today's show, or you just want to say hello, you can reach out to me anytime you want at pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook and send me a message there, but whatever you do, you can support the program by sharing it with others. Tell your friends and family that they can catch it on the air, on demand at kfuo.org or through the KFUO app, and we can also be heard on your favorite podcasting platform. Now, Pastor Murdaugh, before the break, we were just getting into the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it says, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You know, I had commented that our economy really runs on people being discontent. Mm. Um, it, it's one of those things where you think, well, you know, it, does this mean there's some inherent evil in the economic system? And you were right to say that in, in many ways, the, uh, the benefits of our economic system combined with the Christian ethic causes us to be one of the you know one of the most uh, charitable and and humanitarian countries on the planet which is which is wonderful it kind of reminds me of the quote that uh, that capitalism is the worst form of economy except for all the others right so same thing with democracy or republicanism right this is the worst form yeah. of government except for all the others yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, right, right. anything's going to be tinged by human sin, and I guess that's what is at heart here. It's, it's not that the mm -hmm. system is somehow evil, but the reality that there are people who give in to their temptations and sins and use the system to enrich themselves and hurt others. And, and Paul mm -hmm. warns with serious candor here, they've wandered away from the faith. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, there you uh, I mean, uh, to, to give you an example, even in our own society— 
the government did a, a did a great deal in providing for uh, the pandemic in the sense of uh, you know free vaccines and 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 also uh, aid to companies and, and and things that were simply going to go out of business because of the shutdown and that sort of thing and provided a lot of aid in that regard. But now we're finding out that almost uh, what uh, $800 million is unaccounted for and has gotten siphoned off by the greedy somewhere around along the line, close to a, a billion dollars. And maybe even more of that, of that kind of that money was stolen basically by those who just wanted to enrich themselves. Uh, you know, they, they would lie about what their need was so they would get more of that. And that's, so you're right. It, it, it's always the, the, the sin nature that takes over. And, and I want to say that the last thing I want to say about the love of money, love of money is idolatry. Okay. So uh, when he says this, all kinds of pains and that sort of thing, I mean, he's talking about when we replace God's care for us that we can be content with what God has provided, but we have to proceed if you will, love this other thing and think this other thing is going to, to be what will provide for us, that's idolatry. And uh, so anytime you want to start dabbling in idolatry, uh, you better figure out that it, it won't end well. And um, especially for those uh, of the faith, you cannot trade your faith for the idolatry of money or anything else, of fame or anything else. Well, let's keep going then. So I'm going to read the pretty much the rest of the chapter, and this is going to be verses 11 through 21. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has see, ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called, quote, knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. And thus he ends this section. But he tells Timothy, he says, you're a man of God, right? Flee from these things, and here are the good things. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Um, I think sometimes we forget that to stay in the faith, to proclaim the faith, we have to fight both within ourselves against our old selves, but also against the world, which would, uh, which would not, uh, which would not have Christ, which would crucify Christ again and again. 
Um, but our fight is uh, based on these things, righteousness, godliness, faith, mm-hmm. love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Um, what do you think, brother? Uh, yeah, well, he, he quotes here what he had written about the, the fruit of the Spirit, and so he's really to keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, you know, in Galatians 5, uh, 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 5.25, I think he, taught, he says to walk in step with the Spirit. And if you do, then you, produce, you, you have these fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, um, faithfulness and self-control. So you have these gifts, and some of them he mentions here, endurance and that sort of thing. And then he says, now, that you have these gifts, you are actually equipped uh, to fight the good fight. Uh, when you allow yourselves to flee from the world's way of doing things and embracing God's way of doing things in righteousness, you actually are fighting the good fight of the faith. And uh, so these are the, our equipment uh, for doing that uh, in the world. Uh, and therefore, we take hold of eternal life. Uh, uh, now, the take hold of eternal life means that that which has been freely offered in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his death and resurrection, um, is, is something we can, by faith, take hold of. And therefore, we take hold of its, of its um, gifts, and we take hold of its rewards. Um, but it is something we have to confess. And that's where he talks about the good confession. I didn't know if you had a, a point on the good confession, uh, uh, Phil, but um, I understand. Well, conf- com- yeah, yeah, go ahead, please, please. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, I, I, my emphasis here would be that just in the fight part is that I guess I want people to understand that the fight of the Christian for the good faith is not – um, I guess calling people to arms and revolt. <laughs> no, no. It, it, it is it is an internal struggle against one's old self. It is a struggle mm-hmm. against the world. It is the fight to be courageous in the face of people who really despise what you have to say because you love them and want them to you know share in the good confession. Uh, but yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts on what is that good confession, right? And especially in in terms mm-hmm. of the context of in the presence of many witnesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just a, a note on the good on, on the good fight uh, that you brought up. You know, it is Paul uh, who said that uh, we do not war with the weapons of the flesh, but of the spirit. And that's that's how we do it. We do it in the spirit. Yeah. So the confession, I like this because it says you're a good confession. Now, he was baptized uh, uh, and uh, he became a, a disciple of, of Christ through Paul. And of course, he that was a public thing, very likely, um, surrounded by the brothers as he, as he became a, you know, com, uh, made his confession. But it was it was the tradition in the church from the apostolic times that those who were baptized uh, would uh, confess the faith, that they would confess that uh, Jesus is Lord and that, and and that, you know, Christ is their only Savior, and that, and that sort of thing, and that, that God is working in Christ that way, and, and that's their confession of faith, that um, uh, this is a work of God being done, uh, that, that they are receiving as a gift uh, from God, he says, in the presence of many witnesses. So even to this day, we reprise that in the um, statements of faith at Confirmation. Uh, in, in our 
in our right of confirmation in our particular uh, tradition, uh, these confessions of faith are made. Um, and even at baptisms, the confession of faith are made by the sponsors of the, of the candidate or of the child. So um, confession of faith is, is extremely important, so important, in fact, that it's, it's provided in the liturgy that this, conf- this public confession should be made. Uh, and although that has become, in some liturgical context, more of a rote thing, I think it's important that, uh, that the people making the confession understand this is the confession of my faith. When you say the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and on occasion that you know, rather lengthy Athanasian Creed, uh, this is my faith. Uh, this is what I believe, and I'm proclaiming it here. Uh, this is an act of my proclamation of my faith. And, uh, and that's an encouraging thing, I think. It's, it's encouraging. I remember I was in a city one time, and I went by a church, and the church said, um, we welcome everyone. Uh, it, it, was, it was something like, we welcome everyone uh, because we have no creed or something like that. It was just the most right. amazing thing I ever saw. Uh, yeah, come on in, no matter what your creed is, all right? So, no, the confession is very important, and that, so important so that he talks about the fact that Jesus gave a confession. So. And the word confession in Greek is to speak out. It means to speak out. It in, it's intended to mean a public speaking out. That's what the, the Greek word means. Right. We are, in a confession, we are essentially saying what God has already said. So whether it's a confession right. in the sense that that we're talking about, which is, this is what I believe, and I'm con mm-hmm. with fessing it up, basically, is how I like to teach my confirmance. We're, we're, right. we're mm-hmm. saying what God has told us is true, and we're saying that we, we are, have faith in that. And even Absolutely. when we confess our sins, we're still just repeating what God has said, and that is that we are sinners by act of our, our sins and separated from Him, mm-hmm. but we seek forgiveness in Christ. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, but mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting here, as you were talking about, you know, Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, and then it tells it tells Timothy, or he tells Timothy, to keep the commandment unstained and free from approach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some people have taken this and other parts of the Scripture to say that Paul was, was pretty convinced that Christ was going to return within the lifetime of at least Timothy or even himself— of course, you know, we know pretty soon it's going to be the end for Paul. But he writes here, um, until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's taking a little too far. I think while Paul certainly hoped for, as we all should, the imminent return mm-hmm. of Christ, I think that's mm-hmm. just saying that this is an eternal thing, right? This is what Timothy's job was, to pass down this message mm-hmm. so that um, so that this message, this confession, could be, well, unstained um, until Jesus mm-hmm. comes back. Yeah, until Jesus comes back. That's right. I mean, I mean, are you and I are both expecting him to come back? I mean, you and I, well, I hope he and does. All Christians that yes, and all Christians that we know, Christians that are active in the faith, active in the church, taking seriously their vocation, taking seriously the call that the Holy Spirit has put upon them to do whatever it is that God has given them to do, they're all looking for Jesus to return. It's 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 part of our. Um, uh, mindset in the Christian faith and of our heart. 
uh, for this for this to happen. I, and I, I like to tell people, I said, uh, at what point uh, do you think that um, you will not be um, happy to see Jesus? I mean, at what point in your life will that ever end, <laughs> that you'll be happy to see Jesus? And they say, oh, no, that'll always, have, that'll always be until I see him face to face. And I said, well, even after you see him face to face, are you not going to want to see him after that? I said, this is an eternal right. thing. This, this anticipation of being in Christ, even when it is fulfilled, is still going to be a, a tremendous thing that we're always going to want, to be in the presence of him uh, who is uh, all these things that he says, king of king, lord of lords, sovereign, ruler, uh, the immortal God. Uh, who lives in unapproachable light. It's the, uh, when he says unapproachable light that no one can see, has uh, 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 no one has seen or can see, means that it's not yet. In other words, that, that has not manifested for us yet. Um, uh, but to him, the honor forever. See, forever and ever, we're going to want his, if you will, transfigured, uh, uh, what, what should I call it, presence in our life, <laughs> even through all eternity. Then he says here, too, which I think is really important for people to understand, especially Lutherans, but even when people misunderstand the Lutheran emphasis on being saved by grace and not by works, we certainly hold to what St. Paul says here and, and, and what St. James says and other places in the Scripture, like verse 18. They, of course, in this case is to be really anybody, are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So I often ask uh, confirmands and even adult classes, I'll say, you know, true or false, good works are mm -hmm. required for Christians. And a lot of them are eager to say false because what they think I mean, it is a trick question a little bit, but what they think I mean is, well, we have to work our way to be saved. And it's like, no, we're saved by grace, but good works rightly flow from that faith and grace. And so, yeah, we are required to do good works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I love this section in James. Uh, I know Luther struggled with it, and a lot of people do struggle with it, and some don't get it right. Uh, but the, this idea that um, that uh, faith is not meant to be useful. In other words, faith is simply the have, having faith. So you have faith, you're going to be saved, don't worry about it. Um, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter. In the end, God will save you because you have faith, uh, that sort of thing. And, of course, James goes all off on that, saying that's ridiculous. I mean, you can't tell me that you've got Christian faith and, and act like a reprobate. He doesn't say it that way. He says, but not show your works that, that you have faith. And, uh, you know, even Paul understood that, too. Uh, he uh, In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the works which God prepared beforehand you should do. So, we have a vocation to be about the work of Christ, which is the good work and the good deeds and the generosity that we show in the world um, and encouragement. I know in our work in India, one of the greatest things that helps us in India is to, is to show that we, we overlook the caste system in order to give, even to the lowest caste, the, the best possible health care, word of God, uh, places to live, and that we that we don't fall into this. Well, that's their karma. Rather, we say no. God loves these people, and that's where they, this, this is demonstration of love in deeds that really turn people to Christ. And uh, so he's just saying, if, 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 
the Ephesian community is going to be transformed. I mean, if you go back to Acts, it was already happening uh, during his missionary journeys, Paul's missionary journeys, when all of these uh, occult leaders began burning their occult books and stuff because they wanted to follow Jesus and not all of these false gods. I mean, things begin to change when when the faith is lived out, uh, not just professed uh, and lived out. Uh, we learn this basically that, uh, over the centuries in our missionary work, where the missionary would sit in a compound in a large house uh, apart from the people he was serving or trying to evangelize. And now we send our missionaries right into these communities to live by example and to, and to live by faith and to demonstrate Christ in a very authentic way. And, and that's what he's telling Timothy he, he's going to have to do in that, in that community he's in. As we approach the end of the program, we are also approaching the end of this letter and this chapter, and he ends it in verse 20 with saying, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you, and then reminds him, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it some have swerved from the faith. But then I, he, and he ends it with, grace be with you. Now, I know we could take that that grace be with you as um, sort of a, just a, a general ending, like, okay, you know, goodbye. But it really isn't. First of all, the you is plural, and it's grace be with y'all, basically, as I would mm-hmm. say. Um, but mm-hmm. it, it really, to me, capstones, or I guess concludes in this case, this whole idea, all of this is really impossible without the grace of God, right? Timothy, you That's need it. to guard this deposit. And then after mm-hmm. everything I've said to you in this whole letter, Oh, God's grace be with you. Uh, right, you know, right. That's that's how I that's how I sense the end of it anyway. Right, right. Yeah, no, that you're, you're correct in that. And the thing he says, the thing he says before Timothy guard guard uh, this, you know, the, the, this faith has been entrusted to you, this this doctrine, this doctrine of Christ and all. He says, um, take hold of life, and that's a repeat. Uh, here in in this verse, uh, verse uh, 19 is a repeat from, I think, 13, um, but 12. No, in 12, he says, take hold of eternal life. Uh, in, in verse 12, after you fought the good fight and all, take hold of eternal life. And then now he says, stand firm, be a founda- in the foundation, um, and, and take hold of life. And every time I hear Paul say this and, and think of people as saying this, uh, I'm reminded of uh, Moses' uh, final dissertation, if you will, in Deuteronomy, in verse 30, uh, where he said, uh, uh, I, uh, uh, I call upon heaven and earth uh, to witness that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse, so choose life. And, and uh, we're to choose life in Christ. That's... Uh, by God's grace, we've been led to do that. And, and if we live in that grace, by the way, that grace is, you know, uh, uh, God's reward at Christ's expense. And uh, that grace is what God has done for us in Christ. And, and so when we're holding on to that, and uh, <clears throat> then there's, when you hold on to that grace, then everything that Paul has uh, exhorted uh, Timothy and the Christian faith, by example, to the Christians uh, who live by faith, by example, 
everything that that is is under grace. It's under this incredible grace by uh, 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 grace through faith that you've been saved, not your own doing. It's a gift of God and not from works, so none should boast. And uh, and so he reminds Timothy that that this is by grace, and it reminding us too, it's all by grace. And all of this that he has exhorted him to do is done by the fact that God has poured out this grace upon him um, and and uh, and on us that we are able to do this, or even privileged to do it. Uh, in this world. Amen, brother, and what a great thought to end on. Folks, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend George Murdoch, Pastor Emeritus. Brother Murdoch, thank you so much for being on the show again. I look forward to when we get to have you on uh, in the future. I do, too. I look forward to it, Phil. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Folks at home, on Monday, be sure to join us as we turn to St. Paul's second letter to Timothy, and it's very likely the last letter he ever wrote. Writing Timothy from a Roman prison waiting to be executed, Paul continues to guide Timothy to be a strong yet loving pastor to the people in his charge. But just as with his first letter, there's so much for any Christian to learn regardless of his or her vocation, so I hope that you'll be sure to join us. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.